And so what feels like a, a shortcut for a leader, right? Just being very directive and hands-on and getting things done in the moment, uh, it, that, that works for the day, but I don't think that's going to work for the decade. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. Justin, I appreciate you being a part of uh, of our podcast uh, today. And if you could, I guess, just start out and tell our viewers and, and listeners a little bit about yourself and, uh, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, that sounds good. Great to be with you, John. Uh, great to be with your uh, podcast listeners as well. Uh, it's always fun to meet uh, like-minded people who care about uh, value-based leadership and uh, looking forward to our conversation. So a uh, little bit about myself, I, I kind of have two uh, sides of my, my journey. Uh, on the one hand, uh, I come from a, a ministry-oriented background, so I served as a pastor for a season. Uh, some of my schooling was uh, in that path and in that line of uh, study. I have a Master of Divinity and did some undergraduate work in, in uh, biblical studies. Uh, but I also have uh, another side to my life that's really interested in uh, leadership and organizational health. And uh, it's one of the reasons I pursued an MBA and uh, have a PhD focused on organizational leadership as well. And so I have these sort of two sides uh, of my life, and I, I, I don't see them really as dueling sides of my life. I see them uh, uh, fairly integratively. Uh, I, I see them coming together around uh, important conversations of how people can flourish uh, in their lives, how people can flourish in organizations. And so I'm really energized to talk about leadership, uh, not just in kind of the areas that I do a lot of teaching. So I, I, I'm a professor. I teach in a, in a seminary context now. Um, but I'm not just interested in leadership in sort of uh, church-based environments or nonprofits alone. I, I really care about flourishing organizations in, in all sectors, um, leaders who are treating people with value and dignity and worth and uh, guiding organizations to effectiveness based on that, uh, that approach to life and people. Uh, so that's a little bit of my, my journey uh, of how I've kind of I got to where I am now and what I'm doing uh, as a professor and uh, in working with different uh, leadership contexts. Well, I, I appreciate that background because the the interesting thing, I think for many of us, uh, if we are part of a leadership journey, is that it doesn't uh, always follow the track that either we think it's going to or that really when you're a values-based leader uh, or a servant leader or, or however some some of the terms are used when you put value towards why you lead it can be in the context of your family in your ministry or in an organization that's a for-profit like ours is uh, and we've made a, a really integrated uh, approach to leadership and i've i've been a leader at different organizations and in my own organization for 20 plus years and and a big part of what i learned in my journey was first how not to lead and i think i think you you learn a lot from those mistakes uh, but you also learn to get your uh, leadership voice. And you talk about that in, in your book, which we're gonna get into here uh, in a little bit. I'm, I'm interested from your perspective, as you've been on this dual journey, 
what have you learned about your own leadership uh, from the research that you've done and how you've applied that into the various pieces and the places where, where God has placed you in leadership? Well, I, I appreciate your highlighting the fact that we learn uh, sometimes the most from uh, mistakes along the way. Uh, it, uh, it, it speaks to the reality that most of us in our leadership journey um, are needing to kind of uh, draw wisdom from various sources. Uh, some of that is from um, uh, books, uh, from podcasts, from other sources of learning how people have navigated leadership. Of course, there's a rich uh, theory and research that can inform uh, the way we approach our leadership practice. But at the end of the day, uh, leadership is not uh, a scientific study alone. It is a practice. It is something that relates to uh, life embedded in organizations and in relationships. And that's really the, 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 the big teacher of leadership is, is how we are learning things along the way. Uh, so I've done a lot of sort of bookish learning, and I know you you have as well in thinking about leadership. Uh, I do care about the academic environment. I like, uh, I love what I get to do in the classroom talking to people about leadership. Uh, but I'm the first person in the classroom to say, this classroom isn't your primary um, uh, venue for learning leadership. You're going to take what you're learning in this classroom and have to apply it in real life organizations and in real life uh, leadership contexts. For me, that happened uh, sort of in, in two main spheres. So my, uh, not the side of me that's studying and teaching leadership, but the side that, that, that has practiced leadership. Uh, of course, it, it, it needs to take place in my uh, personal life uh, with my, my family context and community context. Uh, but beyond that, it really has been focused on my, my season in uh, pastoral ministry and then uh, my season as, a, as an administrator in, uh, in the higher education context. So I served as a dean for a while uh, in, uh, in a previous institution. And so thinking in those contexts, you really start to um, press into the reality that I'm working with real people whose lives are going to be impacted by the, the way I approach my leadership for, uh, for better or worse. Uh, and uh, that, that takes the reflections beyond the academic uh, uh, context and says, this really impacts uh, real people's lives and uh, how we approach it matters. Uh, it matters to the people that we serve in those leadership roles. So I uh, really appreciate that emphasis on uh, experience and practice uh, and how we learn as we go in the leadership journey. Certainly been true in my my experience. Absolutely. And you know, so one of the things that in early in your introduction to the to the book, you you define um, the revolution as you call it from a leadership perspective and you use the the example of of Jesus and yeah. which I think whether you are a believer or not if you if you study his history at all and if you mm -hmm. even put it in the context of history from what Jesus did as 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 a man, if you you can recognize that his leadership in this in that context was so outside of what the norm was, um, yeah. that I I was reading that and it and it, and I thought about this from the perspective today. We live in yeah. this world. The we live in the same type of many of the same things from a leadership perspective. It's still revolutionary. It's mm -hmm. not as normative as we might think it is. Um, and, and, and so when you think about the context that we've lived through in the last several years, especially of, um, of leadership in, in our politics, in leadership, in organizations, uh, in leadership in ministry, um, 
what is, you know, when you talk about that revolution, how is that change, uh, how is that change still needed in our context today? You know, I think sometimes uh, people can feel like servant leadership uh, is a good fit for context where people have uh, values and a culture that align with it. Uh, the reality, which you've sort of pointed to, is servant leadership in its origins didn't begin in a context where uh, the society loved servant leaders. It, it, in fact, it was in a context where that kind of leadership looked weak. Uh, it looked like uh, the kind of thing that would uh, lead to you losing any position of influence and leadership. And the reality is, is in our day and age, we still have those same kind of temptations. We, we look to uh, strong uh, forms of leadership. We look to uh, the way society views uh, power, uh, and that doesn't always translate into wanting to uphold as a model leaders who are exhibiting a service orientation. And so it, 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 it somewhat is still a countercultural model. That's one of the reasons that I'm so uh, interested in not only talking about servant leadership, but also uh, trying to do uh, uh, study and research connected to servant leadership as well, because it affirms that servant leadership is is not just a good idea uh, for even our society. Uh, it also is an idea that works. Uh, it actually uh, produces value uh, for the people we lead. It produces value for the organizations we lead, uh, and it uh, produces value for the the customers or constituents that are served by the communities that we lead. Uh, so the fact that servant leadership is countercultural even today uh, doesn't change its value uh, for our context. So that's that's one of the the emphases I like to to bring to people who are considering uh, the importance of and value of servant leadership in their in their organizational lives. And I would venture to guess that in your academic world where you are teaching, there's a there's there's a vast majority of people who are likely in this up and coming emerging leadership um, type of of setting. And so what have you seen through the the generations, if you will, uh, of where this ebbs and flows and how the different generations have will either embrace or push back against the idea of servant yeah, leadership? Yeah. You know, in, in the context I'm um, teaching in, generally I don't have a large hill to climb in convincing people that servant leadership is important. Uh, I think where people sometimes struggle is wondering if servant leadership will work in their context. Uh, this is especially true when I get into conversations about leadership in cross-cultural situations. So you take you take a, you know, a, a cultural background that maybe has a high power distance context. So for folks that maybe aren't familiar with that language, it's just talking about leaders are, are viewed as being far away. They're not people who have an open door policy. It's you know, very hierarchical structures, hard to approach your leaders, lots of respect, lots of deference towards leaders. Uh, when I talk to people who are coming from these high power distance backgrounds, there's, a, there's usually a, some, uh, there's a question along the lines of, well, I, I see the value of servant leadership. I see what you're saying about how uh, it is consistent with a, uh, a view of how the Bible uh, calls us to approach leadership, or I see this as uh, being valuable in, in organizations. I just don't know how this is going to work in my situation. I don't know if this is going to work in my cultural context. 
And I think that's true for people who are coming from organizations that maybe have celebrated very top-down approaches to leadership in the past. There's a resonance of wanting servant leadership to work, but, but having a suspicion of whether it will work or not. And so that's the battle I have to uh, kind of lean into with people is persuading them that it's worth the risk. Uh, it's worth leaning into this conversation in their uh, various contexts. Well, that's a, that's a great point. And I think one of the things you point out in the book too is this uh, is the is the importance of success in leadership comes from empowering, enabling, and developing the people around you and those that you are blessed to lead in such a way that their light shines as opposed to it being about the leader. And I think from a from an organizational context, especially if I think about this, there are times when leaders say, listen, I get that, John, I hear that, I understand uh, that I'm supposed to enable and power and delegate and, and all these things with my team, but the fact is, I don't have the time. It's easier for me just to go do it than it is to empower and let people learn and fail and and get their own traction behind this. So how do we, uh, you know, how do we make that context something that they will be able to lean into? And what do you say to, to those leaders who push use that as a pushback? Yeah. Well, maybe you have uh, heard this uh, African proverb that I like to turn to sometimes uh, that says, if you if you want to go fast, go alone. Uh, if you want to go far, go together. Uh, in that context, I, I think about uh, that that mantra when we're we're speaking of the type of leadership. That tendency for the leader just want to take charge and do it themselves. Uh, the tendency of that leader to just want to uh, sort of direct alone, tell people what to do, and move on to the next thing. Uh, that works for short-term needs, right? It it probably is more efficient in the moment. Uh, but I would argue that it's not more effective in a long-term perspective because we're not helping to develop uh, people, to develop followers, to develop organizational members uh, to their full potential. And we want people to, to thrive because when people thrive in our organizations, when they're growing, when they're learning, when they're being developed, uh, guess what? The organization grows and develops as well. And so what feels like a, a shortcut for a leader, right? Just being very directive and hands-on and getting things done in the moment, uh, it, that, that works for the day, but I don't think that's going to work for the decade, right? We need to be thinking about success for the long-term. And that means we need to be thinking about success in the lives of our people as they grow and develop as well. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great point. And I know I've seen that uh, as well. And in my own journey, I, I think early on, like many leaders, I was promoted because I got things done and I was good at what I did. And then you get into this role of leading others and uh, whether it's at a supervisory level or once you get to a senior leadership role, no longer what you do isn't as important as how you go about doing it and getting work done through others. Um, you talk about this as a, uh, you know, under that em empowering, you say under empowering models uh, uh, such as transformational leadership, the desired transformation is not simply about accomplishing organizational goals. It's actually the change in the people as well. And I, you know, can you expound a little bit about what that means and, and how leaders can understand that frame of reference? Because it's a balancing act, isn't it? Uh, between, yeah, we still need to get stuff done. And, and, and then how do I help uh, get that through the people? 
Yeah, it is, it is a balance um, that we have as organizational leaders. Um, I think sometimes people feel like they're facing the question of, do I focus on people or do I focus on production? They feel like they're, they're being forced into this either or equation. Uh, but the reality is it's not an either equation. And, and in some ways, we've known this for a long time. You go back to early leadership studies, uh, University of Michigan or the Ohio State, and uh, talking about the kinds of behaviors that were needed by leaders. And they were, they were looking at this, do you, do you focus on people or production? And the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> when you do both, when you're focusing on people and production, you have the best results that come. Now, servant leadership uh, theory kind of have press this a little bit further. Uh, it's not about, uh, yes, focus on production and getting things done. And when you have time care for people, servant leadership argues, no, um, if you first and foremost value the people uh, that you work with, um, you value them, uh, that's going to lead you then to developing them and committing to equipping and empowering them. And you know what? That's the very means by which the production is brought about. Uh, sometimes we like to sort of uh, think of organizations in these abstract senses. We like to think of them as just machines uh, with various cogs in the system. Uh, but organizations at their core are networks of people working together. And uh, servant leadership says, let's make sure we are prioritizing the individuals who are part of that team and go through the process where we are equipping and empowering them for the sake as well of not only their flourishing, but the organization flourishing. Uh, so I want to pivot the, the conversation and lean more into this idea of the valuing of people and the and, and, and that authentic and uh, level of leadership, because I think this is the uh, really important emphasis of, of what purposeful servant and values based leadership is all about, because at the end of the day, you have to care and you have to uh, not just care about the people, but you have to care about the work that is done in helping elevate others. And at least from a values-based organizational standpoint, uh, in our context, we are asking our leaders to to be really intentional about the work that, that comes from the people that you are in, in, in um that you're stewarding and uh, on a regular basis. And I think when you talk about this in the book, you talk a lot about uh, leading to leaders, learning to lead through love, which is a word that isn't often used in the, in the context of organizations oftentimes, as opposed to fear. Uh, and I, one of the things that caught me that I think is, is something that often gets missed is we think sometimes of fear-based leadership as I'm going to tell you what to do. And if you don't do it, you're going to get a punishment for it. And in reality, at least in my experience, many leaders lead from fear and it's a fear of their own. It's not a fear of I'm going to institute fear again with my team as much as it is. I'm fearful of actually caring because I'm going to get hurt. Right. And I, and, and so I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts around this idea that you're, you're leading through uh, a love uh, uh, paradigm as opposed to a fear-based leadership model. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate your uh, kind of highlighting that emphasis of love uh, over fear. Um, I think sometimes uh, organizational members and, and uh, leaders aren't exempt from this. Uh, they think of these kinds of conversations as being embedded in a zero-sum game, right? If, 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 
if I am uh, if I'm focusing on the needs of others, how am I going to get my needs met? Uh, if I'm focusing on uh, genuinely caring for and loving and focusing on the needs of my followers, how are we going to make sure the business needs are met or my needs as a as a stakeholder are being met in this context? Uh, the reality is is uh, love based leadership, uh, servant leadership, uh, isn't isn't operating in a zero sum game mindset. Uh, it's it's saying, you know what, uh, we all can rise. Uh, the tides of this organization can ride. Each of us can rise in this environment when we're putting the needs of others uh, before ourselves. Uh, but it's a it's a mindset shift, right? To 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 say, uh, and I liked how you emphasize it. It's not just about trying to instill fear in others. It's about the leader saying, I'm not going to lead out of fear in this zero sum game as well. I want to lead with understanding that we can have um, the whole of this community flourish, the people of this community. Our customers can flourish when we're focusing on leadership by love. Uh, so it's a helpful rubric. I, I've had a lot of uh, help from uh, a friend and mentor in the leadership world, uh, Jim Lobb, who talks a lot about servant leadership. And uh, he emphasizes uh, six kind of priorities of servant leadership. The first of two, uh, the first two dimensions, which I've highlighted a couple times already, are beginning with a genuine value of the people we work with. If we genuinely value the people that we work with, that translates then into developing those people, equipping them, and empowering them. And so having this genuine love and value of people translating into action, which is empowering and equipping, uh, we begin to can, we begin to be able to have that sort of fear-based approach uh, release its hold on us as leaders and say, you know what, we're all going to win in this equation as we're focusing on the good of others, not just our own interests. Yeah. And, and, you know, the interesting thing when I think about it from an organizational standpoint, particularly a for-profit organizational standpoint, we hear a lot of organizations use the, the, the phrase, our people are our greatest asset. And, and I understand the premise behind that, but I think when you really start to dive into a model of leadership that's based on a value of care and a, and a servant's heart, that phrase actually can do harm in some ways because we then start looking at people as simply a, a, a move on a chessboard. And yes, we say that we value people and we say that they are our greatest asset, but when you flip that to understand the decisions that are made and the actions or uh, that are taken or not taken in an organization, that often leads us to making decisions that are based truly on that as a as a depreciable asset as opposed to an asset that actually grows. Um, so I'm, I'm interested from your perspective on how you help people understand that the the language that is used in servant leadership is really important especially when you, you, we, when you see or hear organizations that talk about the, their people as their greatest asset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate uh, how you're framing this as the, the language matters and it also can be counterproductive at times if it just makes people feel uh, once again as just a different type of cog in a system. Uh, you, your company, uh, if I'm understanding uh, your your values uh, correctly, you know these these themes of people drive growth. Uh, it, the reality is, is those values are are interconnected, uh, even working backwards. This is just kind of my own reading on it. But when we have a flourishing, growing uh, company and organization, 
that actually contributes to the, the flourishing of the people in that organization as well. And so you have these this interplay that, yes, uh, people and people who are being valued helps to bring about drive and growth for the company. But you also have, when you have a, a flourishing company that's growing, that leads to flourishing of the people who are part of that as well. And so uh, I just think we need to continue to come back to this humanizing of the the machine. That's one of the, the themes that we talk about in the book quite a bit. It comes from uh, Margaret Wheatley and some others that, that, that emphasize the human dimension. The challenge, uh, and this has been true from the industrial age on, is uh, not treating people as machines. Right? When, we, when we're trying to mechanize people, uh, we're, we're essentially saying your uniqueness, your creativity, your individuality is a problem that we need to uh, minimize in this organization. But a shift from that kind of Henry Ford uh, assembly line model to a rich human flourishing model is to recognize, no, uh, the people who are here are not just a, a tool to get about what we need to happen in our company. Um, they are the very heartbeat of this company. They are the very heartbeat of how we bring about the good for the people of our organization and those that we serve in our in our customer base. And so to bring this emphasis on flourishing, humanizing of the machine prioritizes it and humanizes the, the people who make up that organization. And I spend a good deal of time talking about that, that in the chapter focused on the kind of the, the priority of creating a place for individuality. But we're always having to push against this tendency to mechanize our systems and dehumanize them. We want to rehumanize them, even as we benefit from themes like automation and, and other, other, other uh, advances in our society. We want to humanize uh, the people of our organizations. Well, and I think that the point uh, that you make too in the in the book, especially when it comes to that individual component of things, is a real balance for organizations who are trying to be purposeful, because there is a sense of how of a world in which it's all about me. It's all about the individual, make me feel good, whether it's in our personal relationships or the things that I want to accomplish. Uh, how we we find the uniqueness in people and their individuality and how that layers into the team environment that great organizations uh, are known for, right? It's, it's, the, it's how collaboration is fostered when we believe in the, the, the greater sum of, of all as opposed to the one individual, right? And so when you're talking to leaders and you're, you're trying to help them understand that it's the balance between individuality and, and as you put it, the humanizing of people and not looking at them as a, a machine with the values of an organization uh, and what we're trying to accomplish together how do we balance that 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 ability to say we love you as an individual, we love your uniqueness, and here's how it fits into the team? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the language that uh, um, we talk about in the book is uh, the emphasis on unity uh, rather than uniformity. Right? And so, how are we how are we paying attention to unity of mission, uh, unity of uh, mission accomplishment, unity of how a job needs to be performed, uh, but having some uh, uniqueness that can be brought into that uh, equation. So unity, not uniformity, is sort of a, a driving uh, a driving emphasis. Uh, now, I don't know all the ins and outs of the 
the specific work that your organization does on a on a day to day basis. Uh, but I think about just organizations in general. There there needs to be a place for saying we can we can uh, accomplish our mission. We can maintain unity in our mission and our work without having to treat people in this uh, highly mechanized way. Uh, there's a Henry Ford uh, quote, at least it's attributed to Henry Ford that I share a couple times in the book, uh, where he says, uh, why is it I always get the whole person when what I really want is just a pair of hands? And I think that captures uh, the shift of sort of that former classic management approach. How do we move away from just treating people in a mere utilitarian way? Uh, we don't want just the pair of hands. We want the person who's connected to those hands. And yes, the hands oftentimes have specific functions that they need to do within an organization's context. And we need to celebrate that because we're wired to contribute uh, value and work uh, to our communities in a meaningful way. It's part of, part of living out our human nature is to be value contributors. And so the work of the hands does matter. But we want to care for the whole person that's connected to those hands and value all that they bring to the table. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that that statement because it, it is um, one of the things that in an organization that is trying to live out who they are uh, and what they believe more so than anything else is a genuineness of the balance between care and candor. Uh, I often say that there is a, a place in which if I actually care about you uh, as an individual, as a human, as part of our organization, then I also am going to be candid with you. So I'm going to yes. highlight the things that you do well, but I'm also going to lean into those uncomfortable, awkward, and often challenging conversations because I want the best for you. Um, you talk a little bit about this in the, in the book and, and you say leading with love does not mean being a pushover or viewing life through a poly, Pollyannish lens. It requires an intentional focus on seeing people as inherently valuable and then committing to love and care for people based on this inherent God-given value. And I, and, and so I'd be curious to see your perspective on, on leaders who are willing to lean into both the, the, the positive, but also those areas where somebody might be challenged both personally and in, in their professional work, if you will, because as you point out, uh, you know, that quote from Henry Ford is always an interesting one because I always say too, once you start getting involved with people and you're managing people, it's messy and, and it's not, there's no linear answer to things. And so you are getting the whole person and which means when they come to work, they bring their whole person to the, to, to the organization. They can't compartmentalize that. Well, uh, first of all, I just appreciate how you frame that with those, those sort of key words of care and candor. Um, that is the heartbeat, right? How do we bring these two together? They, they are not, uh, at, they don't have to be at odds uh, in, in our engagement. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time uh, leaning into that discussion uh, in chapter eight in the book where we talk about providing accountability. And it's almost if you if you take the second part of the book, which is all focused on uh, the priority of people, valuing and appreciating them, uh, creating a place for their individuality, understanding how to relate well, and the relational skills that are needed. That sets the stage for then talking about the fact that we as an organization still need to get things done. We need to navigate towards 
effectiveness. And, uh, and the key story in, in chapter eight that uh, I just really resonate with is uh, the former uh, president or CEO of uh, Panera Bread Company. And uh, he was trying to do a servant leadership oriented uh, practices in his company. And he talked about for a long time, he went about uh, his approach to servant leadership in a bit of a distorted way. Uh, he, he talked about how servant leadership for him uh, meant that he was trying to be nice to the people that he led. And being nice to them, uh, that's pleasant. We like leaders who are nice to us. Uh, but being nice for him led him at times uh, to begin covering for his employees. Right When, when performance was declining, uh, he'd step in and try to fix things and get it back on track. And uh, when I hear that story, I hear what a beautiful heart in that leader to want to do that, uh, to care enough for his people to, to cover for them at times. But over time, he recognized that that kind of was enabling um, some unhealthy dynamics in the organization and in the lives of the people that he cared about. And, uh, and the, the, the real turning point for him was when he sort of resonated and realized that uh, servant leadership is not primarily about being nice to people. Servant leadership is primarily about being helpful to people. Right? If we genuinely love people, if we genuinely care for them, we're going to be committed to being helpful to those people, which sometimes means, to use your word, we need candor. We need to be able to speak um, truth uh, to situations that need to hear the truth. Uh, now, anybody who's a parent understands that uh, we have to do that regularly. Um, the fact that I love my children, we have five children, two, two that are in their adult years and uh, three more still in the journey. Um, if I love my children, I'm going to need to say hard things to them sometimes. I'm going to need to say things that they don't want to hear because I love them enough to say those hard things. And uh, that's that balance of care and candor in the family situation. Uh, I think the same type of dynamic applies in the organizational context, right? We need to be careful we're not being overly paternalistic with the people we lead. Uh, but we do want to bring that type of care and candor into the workplace, which means, you know what, even if I'm not going to be viewed as the nice guy all the time, I want to be viewed as the person who is committed to being helpful to the people in my community. And that means having accountability conversations. And so I uh, just can't say enough about that, that emphasis you, you noted about blending care and candor. That's part of what servant leadership is all about, a commitment to being helpful, not just nice to the people we lead. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things that we've learned on our journey of emphasizing our core values and you and you emphasize those and I love the way you you kind of reverse engineered how they they are are seen in our organization one of the things our CEO said to me um, when we first started down this journey is and as he's learning uh, you know in this process that he cares deeply for people and sometimes he's allowed that to shade uh, his view of and directness or lack thereof uh, when people are not performing well. And one of the things that I, I shared with him is I, I had a CEO years ago that I worked with that we when we went down this path of values-based uh, leadership, uh, I shared with him the story that this CEO, we ended up having to let go uh, our senior vice president of sales who carried on, a, a, had a huge book of business. And 
ultimately he was not living out our core values. And I remember sharing that with him. And this happened to be somebody who they were best men in their each other's weddings. So it wasn't just a professional relationship, it was personal. And I said uh, to our CEO, at some point in our journey as an organization, you are going to have to make something, a decision like that yourself. And the best thing that you can do to care about somebody is to tell them the truth. And so if you're shading it because you're afraid of hurting their feelings, you're actually doing them a disservice. And that was kind of a, a turn for him because we started using different language in our, in our organization to emphasize all three of our core values and how they are interlinked. I, I care about people, but I, I, I care about you so much that I want you to grow. And so I have high standards because I care about you and because we want to drive to the excellence that we expect uh, in our customer engagements, in our work performance. And so it really is intertwined. Um, and, and you talk about this in the accountability piece, which I think is always the most important part of a leadership uh, philosophy. And it really dictates how you actually show up, whether you are hierarchy driven, whether you are, you do as I say, uh, because I'm the boss versus I'm here to help you. Um, accountability plays out in any of these in these areas. And so one of the things I think is is unique when you say this is emphasizing the connection between communication and accountability. Uh, in your research, you was made to that honest and open communication that is regular and consistent at setting and reaching goals is very effective in developing accountability and building trust. So talk a little bit about that because I think that's one of the biggest challenges for, for leaders is to actually set the expectations uh, up front and then reinforce them consistently so it becomes more about the outcome than it does about the tasks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you, you've you've also seen kind of some of the, the themes and threads that run throughout the book. Um, you know, I value conversations that are about servant leadership and follower focus. I talk about transformational leadership and organizational uh, transformation. I talk about a team leadership and a collaborative orientation. So those are some threads that kind of go throughout. And one of the one of the things that that does is when I'm talking about leadership, uh, I'm explicitly talking about leadership in a way that is about shared goals and aspirations between leaders and followers. Uh, so it's not just a sort of a transactional model where a leader is saying, here's what needs to get done. I pay you, you give me work hours, we're both happy, job's done. Uh, again, lots of organizations uh, do life in that transactional context, and that's fine. But I think a, a commitment to service, a commitment to transformation, a commitment to collaboration means it's not enough just to have it be about the, the leader's agendas. Now, the reason I'm spending time on this is I think that relates to performance conversations. If, if we are talking about shared goals, shared aspirations, shared visions, that, uh, that the team members are not just renters of, but owners of. In other words, they view this as they want these outcomes for the company as well. They want this performance for the work team as well. This is not just what the boss is telling me to do. This is something I care about as well. If we can lead a, a community, a team, a division, an organization where we have mutual ownership by leaders and followers together about what matters most in that business and what matters most in that organization, that provides a platform for having hard accountability conversations because uh, the, the conversation at that point is not 
a conversation that is, you're not doing what I want you to do. It's there's a gap between what we both want to see happening and what actually is happening. It's the gap between expectations and uh, actual behavior. And in those kinds of conversations, most people aren't shocked when the conversation comes about because there's a sense uh, that they feel that gap as well. And if somebody really is an owner of the mission, an owner, uh, an owner of the work uh, out, out, outcomes that are desired, there's likely going to be an openness to that conversation of how can we get this to a better place? And that's the, those are the best, best scenario type accountability conversations is when we have people uh, on all sides of the table saying, it's not where we want it to be, but we want to make it better. How can we make it better? What do I need to change? How do I need to approach my work differently? Boy, what a joy to lead those kinds of people. Now, at the end of the day, um, a lack of performance can continue, and that may, might lead to a termination or repositioning or something else in, uh, in the organization or beyond the organization. But a leader who cares, a leader that values, and a leader who is genuinely committed to being helpful wants to do what they can to help that person take the step correcting behavior, bringing it back to actually what they want as well, right? It's the sense of we're mutually working towards shared goals, shared outcomes that we're all owners of. Yeah, and oftentimes one of the things that I have learned over over the course of my career is when people aren't performing real well in their role, uh, it might be because they're in the wrong seat, but it also might be because they're in the wrong organization. Uh, and, and that happens as organizations grow. Uh, what, what you did and value br you brought to the organization individually 10 years ago may not be what the organization needs today. And by the way, my guess is you're probably not happy at home. You're probably not showing up your best self in those relationships because you're carrying that weight with you back home. And that's where I always talk about with, with people, you bring your full self to everything that you're a part of. And, and so if you're stressed at work, you're stressed at home. You don't compartmentalize those things. And as much as people like to believe they do, they just simply don't. It's not our human sure. nature. Uh, and, and I think that's one of those pieces that for me, when I read your book, and I've read it multiple times, by the way, I love it. It's, it's one of the things I actually use uh, significantly in my coaching uh, in the organization because I think it has so much value to people. But I'd like to kind of wrap up the conversation a little bit in one area that I I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about because I I think this the the purpose and leadership inventory that you you developed I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that can do for leaders as they try to understand this type of leadership model for themselves and how they show up. Yeah, so the, the purpose in, in leadership inventory is uh, trying to get at uh, measuring three variables that have uh, kind of historically um, demonstrated uh, value for communities and organizations. And I'll, I'll say up front that the, the tool is, uh, is designed uh, primarily for research-based purposes. So while there probably is some organizational level applications or team level applications, uh, it's really driven towards uh, folks that are doing uh, kind of research around organizations and, and leadership styles. But the three uh, dimensions that are highlighted in there are uh, follower focus, so the degree to which a leader is focused on uh, the needs of their followers, not just on their own um, self-interest. 
Second, uh, the leader's uh, goal orientation and kind of mission focus. I think it's a little bit around the, the drive dimension uh, of your value uh, equation, right? Are you focused on what matters? Are you working towards those goals? To what extent the leader is, uh, is goal oriented? And then the, the final one, in addition to follower focus and goal orientation, is this uh, leader purposefulness measure. And I think that's probably the one that is most unique in the measure. Most people, I think, would probably say, okay, focus on follower, focus on goals. Uh, that's helpful. That's needed. Uh, it's this leader purposefulness that's a little bit uh, new and newer in the conversation. Uh, and it's connected to broad threads, uh, meaning-based work, uh, the importance that people see their work, not just in a utilitarian way, but connecting to something that uh, drives a, a personal sense of meaning. Uh, that they're showing up uh, on their nine to five or wherever, whenever they're working, um, not just with a sense of this puts, uh, puts, pays the mortgage and puts some food on the table, uh, but this is uh, something that actually connects to uh, values that I have. This connects to a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in my work. And the leader purposefulness scale is getting at the fact that leaders who see their work as having a, a deeper sense of purpose and meaning that that connects to higher levels of performance. And uh, I would also say that that connects to this thread of authenticity. Like we want to follow leaders who actually believe in what they're doing. We want to follow leaders who think that the organization is about work that really matters in the world. We want to follow leaders who really believe in it. Now, it's one thing for a leader just to sort of point to the miss mission statement on a website and say, here's the mission. This, was, this is what drives me. Of course, we want leaders who affirm what's on the uh, on the website in that sense. But it's more than that. It, it, it gets at this idea of something that really resonates with, with who they are. So a CEO uh, kind of that's uh, around Minnesota and a number of people kind of know about from his days at Medtronic uh, is Bill George. Uh, Bill George talks a lot about uh, authentic leadership and the priority of that of leading organizations. And, and he kind of presses this point when he's getting at authentic leadership. He, he emphasizes that purpose uh, in that sense of leadership is not just simultaneous with the purpose of the organization. In other words, what is driving the leader's sense of purpose in their life and how does that connect with the broader sense of purpose that the organization has? Well, the, the, the purpose in leadership, the, the, the purpose in leadership inventory is just getting at uh, or, uh, getting at the, the idea that leaders who have this deeper sense of purpose and meaning, it's not just again, it's not just a good idea. It actually brings about higher levels of performance in our organization. So uh, we, we could go on to measure other things, but I've looked at things like uh, increasing organizational commitment, uh, an increased sense of person organization fit among the followers. Uh, a, 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 a larger sense of job satisfaction that followers have uh, and the way followers just overall measure the effectiveness of the leader. All of these things are at least correlated with a, a higher sense of a leader understanding their purpose in life as it relates to their leadership role that matters for these uh, broader organizational performance type measures. So. Follower focus, goal orientation, and this leader purposefulness all are significant predictors of effectiveness uh, based on uh, the research that's been done so far. Well, that's been fantastic because I've uh, I always uh, have shared with other leaders, especially in our in organizations I've been a part of, is that you have to believe in not just as you pointed out, not just the mission itself, but 
in what we value as an organization. Because if you don't as a leader, that's a misalignment that's going to permeate uh, across the organization. And it doesn't matter whether you are a senior leader or a frontline supervisor, your influence, while different, still matters. And and so we talk a lot about that. We actually hire uh, based on these core values about the how. We, 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 we try to connect more about the how and the why as opposed to the what. The what is the skill set, and the, you absolutely need that in organizations. There's no doubt about it. But I would rather take a, a somebody who fits our core values and how we go about doing our business and I'll train you on the skills. Uh, and we do this, Absolutely. we've start, We've started doing this in our world, we're a construction company. And so we got a lot of guys who come from backgrounds that this is not normal in the industry uh, to have an organization that's focused like this. And it's interesting, we've heard this feedback even since we started this year of uh, of the podcast. I just had one of our supervisors who's out in the field all the, all day long, reach out to me and say, this is, I, it resonates with me now. I understand it. I'm starting to connect the dots with why you cared so much about bringing somebody like me on and it's had an impact on them. And for, for me, just one person makes it all worthwhile because we're starting to make a difference one, one life at a time. And, and ultimately that has an eternal impact, which I think is, is something that permeates in our organization as well. Uh, because it is more than just getting the work done, being successful by whatever measure that is. Um, and so uh, I just appreciate what you've uh, done in terms of the research and the work that you guys put into this book. Uh, I would highly recommend it to people, and we'll put it on our website and make sure that people have a link to uh, to to get that. Um, and, uh, and so I, I've just appreciated your insights. I think it's really helpful for leaders who are listening to this, uh, and, and understanding what it means to, to be, uh, others focused and purposeful in their leadership. So I appreciate the time uh, today, Justin, any last thoughts, anything that you wished I would have asked you in this conversation that, uh, that you'd like to leave as, uh, as kind of a. Uh, a last nugget of, of leadership insight. You know, I, uh, I there's no uh, kind of uh, massive uh, idea that I want to get out on the table that we haven't talked about. Just to affirm uh, the, the theme that has run through our conversation, uh, that the people of our organizations really do matter. And when we're able to invest in the health of our people of our organizations, we end up with healthy, vibrant organizations. Uh, and uh, that benefits the people of our, our, of our communities in uh, significant ways. It's sort of this cascading love that can, uh, can happen in the lives of our people. Uh, I think about how some of the leaders of uh, Southwest Airlines talk about that, that their executives say their primary commitment is to care for their employees. And uh, the value exchange that they have there is if we put our focus on caring for you, then we see you as having your primary commitment is caring for our customers. And it's this cascading care that really does bring benefit to our organizations and the people that we serve through our organizations. So uh, really thankful for you, John, thankful for how you and your company are, are envisioning this people-focused approach, this value-based approach to leadership. And uh, I'm leaving encouraged from this conversation to just knowing that there are great companies like yours out there. Thanks so much, John. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, 
people drive growth.